Hello, everyone, and welcome to Close Readings. I'm your host, Kamran Javadizadeh, and it's my great pleasure to have Harris Feinsod on the podcast on the podcast today. Um, Harris has chosen a poem by William Carlos Williams for our conversation. Um, and the poem, uh, well, the title that Williams eventually would give it is To Elsie, um, though, as I think we'll, we'll discuss um, soon enough, um, the, the poem was originally published in Williams's book from 1923, uh, the book Spring and All. And in that book, uh, the poem doesn't have a title. Um, so um, we'll say more about all of that soon, um, and and I'll come and we'll come back to Williams and the poem um, in a minute. Um, let me just say here at the outset, though, of course, as always, that for people who would like to look at the poem as we talk, or even to look at it now before we really get going in earnest, there's a link in the show notes um, to a text of the poem, so you'll be able to see it there. Um, and this is one of those cases in which we have a recording, and in fact, there exist multiple recordings of Williams reading the poem himself. Um, so you'll get to hear Williams read the poem um, soon, and I'll make links to all of that available um, in the uh, episode notes. But first, let me tell you about our guest, um, Harris, um, who's a, f- a friend of mine and um, a nice, uh, friendly face to see on my screen right now. Harris is the uh, is an associate professor of English and comparative literary studies at Northwestern University, where he is a literary and cultural historian of the U.S., of Latin America, and of the Atlantic. Um, more about that in a minute. He works on poetry and poetics, uh, modernism and the avant-garde, multi-ethnic U.S. lit, and transnational studies. Um, Harris's first book is called The Poetry of the Americas, From Good Neighbors to Countercultures, and was published by Oxford University Press in 2017 with a, a paperback edition that came out in 2019. Um, that book tells the history of relations between poets, poems, um, and the political and cultural, inst- sometimes countercultural institutions that sponsored, attempted to define, and ultimately sustained those relations in the Americas from the end of the Second World War to the late 1960s. Um, Harris is at work on a second book called Into Steam, The Worlds of Maritime Modernism, which is a global account of transoceanic and dockside poetry, narrative fiction, visual art, and radical history in the early 20th century. So um, Harris's first book, you know, really focuses on um, the second half of the 20th century or a portion of the second half of the 20th century. In his second book, he's going back in time to an earlier part of the 20th century, though keeping his focus on um, on oceans um, and on um, well, dockside poetry, as he puts it. Um, Harris's essays and articles, including things that are from the new book, um, can be found in journals like American Literary History, Modernism, Modernity, English Language Notes, Comparative Literature, Modern Language Quarterly. Um, and he's also written for places like The Baffler, In These Times, um, Los Angeles Review of Books, N Plus One, and Post 45. Um, Harris is also a co-translator with Rachel Galvin of Oliverio Gerondo's Decals, Complete Early Poems, which was published by Open Letter in 2018 and which was shortlisted for the National Translation Award in Poetry. So let me say just a word about 
Harris's method and approach, which I think I first encountered um, several years ago at a conference, and 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 it came there as a kind of revelation to me, um, like one of those moments where you think, oh, of course, this is how literary history should be done. Um, that that rather than siloing off poets um, into national literatures, uh, particularly in an age where the poets under study are themselves traveling globally and in which their poet poems are are circulating um, almost instantly, um, we should pay attention not to the land, but to the waterways that connect those lands. Um, so oceans, ships, docks, et cetera, become sites of exchange and encounter and meaning-making, and water itself becomes an image of history differently conceived. Um, it was like suddenly seeing the photographic negative of an image you thought you knew, um, the image of the globe, and realizing that you'd mistaken figure for ground. Um, that's what it was like for me to um, to first encounter Harris's work, and I and I've been so um, pleased and um, and excited to uh, uh, develop a friendship with Harris over the years since, um, and um, and to have him here now on the podcast, something I've been hoping for for a while. Harris Feinstein, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great, Cameron. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for that beautiful introduction. I was trying to remember, was it the um, Hart Crane uh, Society panel? It at may have ALA? been. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, which makes sense. Um, th- there's an oceanic um, presence for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that. Um, but then, you know, there have been Modernist Studies Association conferences <laughs> and um, meetings of the MLA, of course, too, where we've got to appear together and talk, um, and um, and where I've I've been learning so much from you. So, so you know, I contacted you a while ago, I think, and I said, "Hey, do you want to come on the podcast? Uh, what do you think?" Um, and of course, the first thing that um, a guest has to do is to think about. Um, a poem and a poet that they might want to talk about. So I, I sort of knew going in talking to you that I had like, I really didn't know what who you might um, select. With other guests, I thought, oh, I, I hope, I'm sure they'll probably select this poet or that poet. And, you know, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. With you, I really wasn't sure. And so you said Williams. Um, that did make a kind of sense to me, but I'd love to hear more from you about what led you to make this choice. Well, <clears throat> You know, this is a poem that we're going to talk about that I haven't, um, you know, sat there like writing book chapters about or something like that. But it's something that I constantly return to um, and that vexes me and intrigues me. And so I I thought maybe it would be fun to um, try to work out some of that with 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 you today. Um, I also happen to be teaching it. And and I did think like, you know, last year was the centennial of the wasteland and we had a lot of attention to to the wasteland and all of the um typical thumping about it and um and and so far spring and all centennial has come in without a whisper um (laughs) but we're but we're in the truly in the midst of it right now we Um, are though as you reminded uh, me you are on the record as being against (laughs) centennials um harris has written um a, a lively and persuasive i thought um um, I don't know what to call it, a, a blog entry or a short piece online um, uh, that um, expresses his feelings about the the sort of impulse towards celebrating a centennial of a literary publication or of other things, I suppose, for that matter. Um, you make a good case against centennials. So um, is this you sort of reluctantly admitting that there is something to the to the phenomenon that's worth entertaining? 
Oh, I just, I guess I'm just, you know, full of contradictions. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah. That's good. You contain multitudes, Harris. That's, right. that's good. Um, so, um, so okay, but and 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 maybe it's worth situating um, just before we get to the poem um, itself. Maybe it's worth situating um, this poem a little bit in the context of the book in which it first appeared. So, Spring and All, um, as you say, published in 1923. Um, as you say, published therefore a year after the Wasteland and many other. Um, sort of canonical high modernist texts, um, though the Wasteland really does seem to be a book that um, bothered Williams <laughs> or vexed him yeah. and that he's responding to in some places in this book. Um, that's a book that contains some of Williams's most anthologized poems. So people who know, for instance, The Red Wheelbarrow, that poem was first in Spring and All as well. But Harris, what... What would you want us to know about about that book's place in poetic history or this poem's place in that book? Like for people who have heard of Williams mm-hmm. and maybe have read a couple of Williams poems, um, what should they know about this book's place, uh, this poem's placement in that book? Um, that's a, I think it's really important. I, I, I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, we're, we're familiar perhaps your listeners are familiar with the kind of powerful decontextualization, say of a poet, like, or sort of dematerialization of a poet like Emily Dickinson. I, I, I saw mm. that Jenny Jackson was on the, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, but I think something similar happens in the anthological process of turning um, Williams's weird modernist books into standalone poems that can appear in, in, in whether in his collected poems or in, in, in anthologies and, and the like um, or on and like a subway car or something like or that, on a subway right? car exactly or right. on the poetry foundation website or whatever um right. and um and so spring and all was a book that was published by william's friend robert uh, mccallman uh in 1923 on contact editions was a uh, small press that he started in paris i believe it was with the money that came from um uh, his spouse Briar, who um, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we don't have to get into the complicated relations of everybody, but um, okay. uh, but uh, but but it, I think it's worth noticing, noting because that means that not only um, was the Cunard line uh, kind of heirs to the Cunard line sponsoring modernist production, right. but also the but also the Ellerson lines, which comes into the J.P. Morgan. Um, uh, 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 cartel, shipping cartel. So at the end of the day, if you want to kind of yeah. follow the money for small modernist books, it's mostly big shipping magnate money. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, that's not, that's not, you know, the kind of the, the interest here, I think for us, but, but um, a very slender little book um, published in Paris, you know, um, like many books of that moment, you know, Robin's the Egg US. Blue, right? You know. Robin's Egg Blue, beautiful yeah. little book, but not published, yeah. not republished in, in facsimile until 2013, I believe, in a nice yeah. edition that New Directions did with a, a lovely introduction by, um, by the uh, sadly deceased CD, poet C.D. Wright. Um, yeah. And um, the, the or that, that initial publication, I think a couple things that are worth saying about it is there was only maybe two or 300 copies of it, half of them impounded by the post office immediately. Mm. Um, mm. So this book had almost zero circulation, right? Really within a right. very small coterie. Um, and 
there I think is a moment in the like uh, an important moment in the 1950s when a lot of younger poets kind of went to Rutherford to visit Williams and, uh, right. and reckon with his legacy and try to think through what the that that earlier generation of modernists was up to um, where that sort of small press uh, kind of yeah. legendary small press quality featured featured um, as a as a uh, important kind of um, light uh but but it hasn't really ha- it didn't really have a life as a as a book um but it is a book of uh, what we could call prosy metrum a mixture of hmm. prose and poetry that yeah. has a very long tradition it's a, an experimental book that clearly right. is breaking a lot of traditions but it also is something that boethius and dante and others had right? written right right so um uh so he's kind of working in the venerable tradition of prosy metrum and so those, there are and, prose sections that alternate with sections of verse um, that sort of flow into and out of each other sometimes in sort of coherent ways, but often sort of disjunctively. That's right. It's written in chapters that it starts with chapter 19. It goes immediately to chapter 13 with the, with the title upside down. And then it goes to chapter six and two and then back to 19. Um, And then the poems start, the poems are numbered in Roman numerals. They're, they're numbered Mm -hmm. accurately, I think from one to 27 Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the why chapter 19 i don't know whether that that is a kind of in media res 20th century thing or a or a joke about victorian um codes of poetics about the 19th century that he's making some there's something because 19 repeats and he and he puts it in roman numerals once and (laughs) it's it's a kind of funny set of gestures that you can follow but so 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 you may be against centennials and calendrical time but it seems like williams at least is thinking about the sort of structures of centuries maybe Maybe a little bit. He, I, yeah. I don't know. He's poking at them a little bit. He certainly had a sense of what it meant to be on the brink of a, um, a new, uh, like a new kind of uh, feeling about the 20th century. That and we should probably replaced. say that, that, that though, as you say, the book didn't have like a big impact when it f- was first published, that Williams was not, at least to the other... I mean, Williams was friends with, right, the, the, you know, all of the other um, sort of canonical um, modernist, you know, high modernist poets and um, and was known by them. And this wasn't his first book, right, either. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, it, it's yeah. not that it had no reception, but it had did not have a, I think, a, I mean, it certainly did not have a wide reception. Um, right. And, right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of poets in the Williams tradition kind of will 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 say things about I, you know, I write for ten people or something. And uh, right. at this at this point, I think that's the a little bit the structure of his of his of his imagination yeah. of an audience. Although it's a moment where he's really committing himself to his poetry. It wasn't obvious given his um, career as a family doctor. I think that uh, right the, this kind of. Um, habit would be a sustaining practice across his life necessarily. Right. Um, right. And uh, he is the, you know, the, the, across the previous decade, he had spent a lot of time like weekending with uh, everyone who was mm-hmm. anyone in the kind of American avant-garde and the ex- exiles from the European avant-garde's that were there during world war one and so on. Um, right. And was really around that moment he already a decade previously he had recited his poems at the armory show as i understand it um uh so for the scene of the modern in the united states was something that he was very intimately connected to also through his college friends ezra pound and hd and charles demuth um but so he's like intimately enmeshed in that world but also at a little bit of a remove um in his um suburban family 
practice and right so in, in new jersey right yeah, where he was born yeah. died and lived basically all his life um, That's right. um and and you said something about his um his um influence to poets say poets in the 50s um it's an interesting case right like it can be measured in different ways and and between poetic camps that we think of as opposed to each other yeah. so williams was like a crucial poet for people like Allen Ginsberg and the Beats, but but then also he's a crucial poet for Robert Lowell um, yeah. and and other poets. Um, I think Jarrell too, for instance, yeah. takes a lot from him about a, the kind of yeah. the reality of the poem and all that stuff. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Okay, so so um, so the poem that you've chosen for us, the poem, like I say, that gets called to Elsie, which didn't have that title in in the book. It it's an interesting title that he gives to it even sort of after the fact um, uh, in like collected editions of his poetry. And like when um, I think we'll hear him call the poem that in the recording that I'm about to play, which is from 1945 from a recording that he made at the library of Congress. Um, So, and, and, and just to, just to um, you and I were talking about this before we started. Williams was born in 1883. He died in 1963. Um, so 1923 comes at exactly the midpoint between birth and death. As a 40-year-old uh, man, he publishes this book. Um, so the the in the recording, um, in other words, that we're about to hear is from another 20 or 22 years on from there. So by by the time he's reading this poem, it's not really fresh. But it's it's rather more a, a kind of um, a canonical piece of his own of I think. Um, Harris, anything else to say before we play the recording about, um, I mean, we, we, we should certainly um, feel free to come back to talk about Spring and All as a book or Williams's career or place more generally, but is there anything else you'd want to say setting this up? Um, well, uh, I, I, maybe we can just play it and then get, and then keep going. I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Let, let's hear the poem. So, um, so you're about to hear William Carlos Williams read to Elsie. Um, again, the poem was first published in 1923 in Spring and All, but um, the recording you're going to hear is from 1945 in the Library of Congress. Here's Williams. To Elsie. The pure products of America go crazy. Mountain folk from Kentucky or the ribbed north end of Jersey with its isolate lakes and valleys, its death mutes, thieves, old names, and promiscuity between devil-may-care men who have taken to railroading out of sheer lust of adventure, and young slatterns bathed in filth from Monday to Saturday to be tricked out that night with gods from imaginations which have no peasant traditions to give them character, but flutter and flaunt sheer rags, succumbing without emotion save dumb terror under some hedge of chokecherry or viburnum, which they cannot express, unless it be that marriage, perhaps with a dash of Indian blood, will throw up a girl so desolate, so hemmed round with disease or murder, that she'll be rescued by an agent, reared by the state, and sent out at fifteen to work in some hard-pressed house in the suburbs, some doctor's family, some Elsie. Voluptuous water, expressing with broken brain the truth about us, her great ungainly hips and flopping breasts addressed to cheap jewelry and rich young men with fine eyes, as if the earth under our feet were an excrement of some sky, and we degraded prisoners destined to hunger until we eat filth 
while the imagination strains after deer going by fields of goldenrod in the stifling heat of September. Somehow it seems to destroy us. It is only an isolate flex that something is given off. No one to witness and adjust. No one to drive the car. So, once again, that's William Carlos Williams reading um, the poem that we're talking about today to Elsie, reading it um, in 1945. Harris, um, what are you? Uh, what goes through your mind as you listen to to Williams's recording there? I, I mean, I, I'm I'm struck by so many things in this poem, uh, and it's a poem that you know I think first came to my attention as a sort of young poetry student in college. And, 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 um, and there mm. are sort of mantras in this poem that you just can't live without from, from, from the moment they're born in your mind, the pure products of America go crazy. No one to witness and adjust, no one to drive the car, um, yeah. the, those kinds of moments. So it's bookended by what become these, um, these That's right. isolate flecks of, of, of poetic <laughs> thinking that, uh, that, um, that lodge in the, um, idioms of American poetry so powerfully. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know if it's just projection on my part, but I I feel like I can almost hear in Williams's voice his awareness of the of, of the um, totemic status that those lines would acquire had had by forty five already begun to acquire. I don't know um, at the beginning and end of this poem. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. I think that there's some sort of um, uh, process of recreating their impact and recreation is an important word for Williams across the spring and all um, Good. in Good. this later moment, um, uh, whether or not it's the, the poem is, is really quite singular within the textures of the poetry of spring and all. And I guess one other thing hmm. to say about, about spring and all as a volume um, mm-hmm. is, you know, we, we, I think we, we have a lot of ha- habits of reading poetry that that re- that resolve themselves on the single poem. Um, this podcast mm-hmm. is called Close Readings. Mm-hmm. I think the format, very sensibly, uh, <laughs> you know, is organized around the reading of a single poem. Um, you can but, offer uh, a critique, please. Yeah. Um, it, uh, but that is one among several ways of, of organizing course. one's attention to the poem. And yes. um, one, one uh, there's a scholar that I love, of course, he's my dissertation advisor. I particularly love him, but uh, uh, Roland Green, who's written, I think, compellingly about some of the other. Um, ways of organizing one's attention to poems. And one of them might be um, what he calls the integrationist school of reading poems, which is to just be fundamentally interested in how poems are related to other poems. Right. Um, which is a different activity. Uh, it, uh, and, and, um, and so reading across the poems of Spring mm-hmm. and All would be one way of doing that, thinking about Williams's poems in relationship to other comparative dimensions right. across you know, U.S. modernism or, or something, but also um, for me, a, a kind of fundamental interest is to think about how this poem fits into other ways of thinking about what he calls here America. We might call the Americas um, because right. I think the situation of or predicament of um, of this poem is one that many poets across the Americas faced. Um, mm. So I don't know. Maybe that's one. Yeah. One one that that sets up a few things we can we can. Uh, follow up on um, yeah well why don't why don't yeah. why don't we um why don't i just take the last thing you said yeah. and ask you to elaborate on it yeah. in a way so and this returns us of course to the first um conveniently yeah to the first line of the poem though i want to bracket that for a second and say that maybe one ambition that's a, been a kind of emerging one for me with the podcast is that 
though the units of attention here are being paid to individual poems, that there might be some kind of accretive phenomenon that's ongoing where we sort of um, allow ourselves to refer to other conversations about other poems and develop these strands of connection because I'm totally persuaded by the value of doing so. Yeah. I, 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 it's clear that there's a universe uh, or a galaxy <laughs> of interanimating phenomena that are, yeah. on, that are here in the, this podcast. So uh, oh, yeah, right, no, yeah, no, but I, it's not, yeah. I just mean, yeah. But there is a kind of yeah. schoolroom, um, yes. you know, tendency towards the single poem. And I just wanted to kind of, of mark course. a possible difference. To yeah. That. Um, yeah. And for people who aren't as, as sort of firmly in this world as Harris and yeah. I are and sort of laughing with each other about um, that, tendency is very much like a product among other things of like the new criticism um, and of a certain form of pedagogy in which the poem, not even the poet, right. But the poem sort of decontextualized is the, is the object of study. Um, And um, I'm, I'm both kind of indulging in my um, desire to do that kind of pedagogy, but also uh, find my, my own, attention sort of straying away from it here and here and there mm-hmm. okay but let me bring us back to the uh, now like a good new critic let me bring us back to the first first line of the poem the pure products of america and then we get a line break go crazy and then there's a dash and the second uh, at the end of the second line um so harris you said something a moment ago about how what williams calls america there um, we might want to call the Americas because if I was hearing you right, what Williams is um, responding to is a, I think you use the word predicament, a predicament or a, a kind of situation that would have been, um, that that was preoccupying poets more broadly throughout the hemisphere um, at around this time. And so say more about that. What What's the predicament? And well, what does that have to do with the concept of America or of yeah. pureness or purity. Yeah. The, uh, the anthropologist Jim Clifford used this poem at the beginning of a book called the predicament of culture um, uh, to name what he described as in the, in the 1980s, an important kind of um, an important contribution to anthropology's sort of self-reckoning about what the ethnographic project had been. Um, and, uh, and, and, so he saw one version of that predicament here in this poem um, about what I, I mean, Williams is a physician, a family physician in this poem. He is um, mm-hmm. he is also leveling what we could think of as a, some something of an ethnographic gaze at a, um, mm-hmm. a, a nursemaid who worked for him, who was a mm-hmm. uh, came to his home from the state orphanage uh, in New Jersey. Um, and there he's, I think replicating and also perhaps questioning some of the dimensions of what that um, kind of an ethnographic gaze looks like. Uh, he's right. doing that in a way that is thinking through what um, the problem of uh, of a, a kind of authentic or autochthonous American culture might be uh, at the outset of the 20th mm-hmm. century um, and whether or not it might be predicated on um, uh among other things, on the uh, fact of a multiracial society, uh, the fact of a society structured by um, histories of um, uh, of coercive um, uh, interracial, mm-hmm. uh, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, self creation, and uh, mm-hmm. and and so he, so the pure products of America, of course, pure is is I think a word that he is 
putting under erasure, uh, even as he invokes it, it. Of course, what he means is impure uh, there. Um, the dash of Indian blood that comes up later in the poem um, mm-hmm. signals that, among other things. Um, so what it is to be a pure product of an impure place or a place that's defined by its impurity is to be impure then right? something like that something like, like a that. kind of constitutive impurity i think um mm-hmm. that, that has a variety of resonances i think for williams one is the specific histories that um he, he might be said to refer to the mountain folk for, from kentucky or the ribbed north end of jersey um mm-hmm. scholars have suggested that um that the the maid whose name we were talking about earlier, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and we can get into that. It may or may sure. not have been Elsie or someone named Sadie. Um, but, uh, but, um, uh, but that she probably came from the uh, Ramapo mountain Indians um, uh, who are a group of like, uh, for a long time, unrec- an unrecognized tribe now, rec- now federally recognized um that mm-hmm. uh, brought together, you know, Lenape and Dutch settlers and so on. Um, and so, uh, and the Kentucky thing, I don't know. He wrote about a lot about Daniel Boone in the, in the American Grain. <laughs> and I think the kind of um, settler Kentucky uh, right. world is, one, is something that's in his imagination there too. And the displacement right. of the Shawnee. And so he's really thinking about, um, like, I think indigenous removal, uh, intermarriage, these kinds of questions, like like the the problem of what in his time might have been coded as miscegenation as a problem. Right. Um, and I, when I think about the, his his putting that at the center of what kind of uh, the the problematic for an American modernism, um, I think of mm-hmm. the fact that that problematic is structuring so many um, ways of thinking about national culture in that moment, the mestizo modernism of like the Mexican revolutionary state is like the official sanctified image of, uh, of, Mm. um, with, with its own set of constitutive exclusions or the, um, uh, kind of ideas about metissage in the French Caribbean or transculturation in the Cuban, um, context, the anthropologist Fernando Ortiz wrote about. Um, and so I, I believe that Williams is very much, trying to imagine a, you know, United Statesian version of a problematic that is under intense pressures across the Americas in this moment um, mm-hmm. uh, about, yeah, uh, what it means to live in Creole societies, basically. Um, right, right. Yeah. So so I have a number of follow-up questions, but um, let's, maybe they're linked in some way. Um, one is it occurs to me like, well, we're talking about a poet who, in whose own name we hear a kind of mixing of linguistic traditions, right? Yeah. William Carlos Williams, and whose whose background is um, is perhaps by the terms that this poem would itself offer impure in some sense. Um, um, so that's one observation I want to make, and I don't know if it's a, a meaningful one to you or if there's something you'd want to say about it um, by way of sort of talking about Williams's background. Um, but but then also in terms of poetic history, you know, if as I as I think we said in the in the intro to to this conversation, that one of the things that Williams is responding to in Spring and All is the wasteland. The wasteland might present us with like a very different model of what like a mixing of cultures should look like, right? Um, to like, you know, the wasteland is though, among other things, like a 
multilingual poem, right? It, um, so you know, is 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 Williams like um, somehow interested in? Um, I'm trying to think of the right terms to put this in. Um, an ambition that seems to have been encoded in certain kinds of like European modernist projects, but defining it in a kind of um, defiantly American or Americanist way, which is winds up looking quite different. So Mm -hmm. those are sort of two questions I have. And then the third question I had is like, what does go crazy mean? (laughs) You know, what what does he mean by crazy in the second line? But so take any of that. Let's try to do, uh, I'll try to do the first one, William Carlos Williams. Right. uh, And then try to do the second one. um, Yeah. yeah. uh, And then we can get to the third. But um, so, uh, okay. So the, so, um, uh, you were referring to the fact that there appears to be a kind of, you know, kind of heterogeneous cultural background in William's own right. um, uh, own identity. So Williams's parents, William George Williams, uh, was an Englishman who lived in the Caribbean from the age of five, uh, Spanish speaking. Um, his mother, Raquel uh, Helena Hoheb, was a, I, I think her parentage was, her father was a, was Dutch Jewish her mother was Basque, um, and they mm-hmm. also were, um, uh, you know, she grew up in Puerto Rico. She went to study in Paris a little bit, but was basically in Puerto Rico. And then they moved to the U.S. around 1981 or 82, which is about the same time. 1881. Um, you said, oh, no, sorry. You yeah. said 1981. But oh, sorry, yeah. 18, just, excuse yes, me. 18, yeah, 1881, yeah. Uh, which is about the exact same moment that Jose Marti um, ends up in New York City, too, mm. um, d- d- displaced in his exile from Cuba. But they are um, in different kind of political orbits, uh, Marti and the Williamses, I think. Um, right. uh, Williams. William Carlos Williams, the Carlos comes from the uncle Carlos Hoheb, who was the brother of the mother um and uh-huh. um uh and he had he was like a kind of like landowner in the dominican republic and was sort of uh, ousted from his land in a popular revolution in 19 in 1879 i believe um and so it's within it's shortly thereafter that they 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 leave uh-huh. um and the williams relationship a lot of people have become interested and in, i think rightly so uh, since the 80s probably with Williams' bicultural identity. Is Williams a Latino poet? Does he uh, belong to something called Latinx modernism? My friend and colleague John Alba Cutler and uh, mm-hmm. Maria del Pilar Blanco have been asking this question in really wonderful ways. Um, and before them, Julio Marsan back in the 80s was asking this sort of question, Vera Kutsinski. Um, and, and I think that as the like U.S., Kind of the kind of reckoning with the U.S. the whiteness of the U.S. canon um, mm-hmm. uh, came to pass. It was mm-hmm. it was the case that Williams sort of felt like a like a like more of a sacred cow than ever, precisely because he seemed to offer a, another right. possibility. Although it's clear in many ways that you know his thinking is structured by whiteness uh, sure. everywhere, um, yeah. and um, and w- the what the nature of his sort of like Latinidad was, I think, is is, is interesting to explore. He he talked about. Um, speaking Spanish with a, like a, a choice hack and sack accent or something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, but he did grow up speaking Spanish in the home. He translated a lot of poetry from Spanish, but, um, but mm. always with one of his parents, uh, Jonathan Cohen has edited a volume of the translations. Mm. Um, 
uh, a few years that. ago, but but yeah. he's always working either with his dad or his mom or later mm-hmm. with a, um, a professor that he knew named Jose. Uh, I'm going to forget the name. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but okay, I give all this background in part right. because I think in the teens, you can think of Williams as like the American modernist, the one that stays in New Jersey while everyone right. goes to Europe. You can right. think of him as um, somehow representing the, but, but I think it's worth like noting. Even that, Frost went to England. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Williams goes and studies for a year yeah, in Leipzig right. medicine. And then like uh-huh. in the later in the twenties, he goes to visit everybody one time and, and he, and, you know, in the, in the American grain, he writes about how just, just depressing. He finds the whole scene with yeah. Valerie Larbo and everything. Um, okay. So, I, but in, uh, I, I, I don't remember where I drew the quote from, but I have it in my notes so that in 1917, um, his old college buddy, Ezra Pound, um, mm-hmm. reacted to the young Dr. Poe's first efforts at experimental poetry by sort of chiding him. He said, uh, quote, and America, what the hell do you, a blooming foreigner, know about the place? Um, and, uh, and, and he goes on to say, uh, in, in, in an early example of Pound's very sort of m- messy biological nationalism, uh, right. you thank you, you thank your blooming God, you've got enough Spanish blood to muddy up your mind and prevent the current American ideation from going through it like a blighted colander. I, I just think it's notable that, that, that those that are in William's own circle, you know, are sort of seeing that his efforts at a kind of Americanism are, are marked precisely by, you know, um, forms right. of difference that they're ascribing to him and, right. and, and so on. Um, and so, right. and so I think, that while, while he may have conceived of himself as white, yeah. just to, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it yeah. more crudely than you did, yeah. that someone like Pound, his friend, yeah, you know, soon to be fascist friend, yeah. right? Yeah. Nevertheless, would have marked and recognized him as not belonging in the same way that pound did for exactly exactly yeah um so so the contradictions of his own kind of um kind of identitarian claims Mm -hmm. are ones that i think he's never really he never really works out for himself in in, in as much of a kind of I mean, he, there's a lot to say about how he works yeah. it out for himself later, especially later on. But it's not on the it's not on the surface of a book like Spring at all at all. Um, uh, but I think it is there, uh, just in a displaced way, in what in what he's trying to think through. And terrific. No, that's really yeah. helpful. Now you were going to yeah. say something maybe about like the wasteland and multilingualism. Oh yeah, or, but, but yeah, I don't know yeah. if you wanted to still. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, Spring and All is one of the great um, uh, kind of reposts to the wasteland for sure, right. um, and uh, it, it's all over the place. You know, if for if for Elliot, the you know roots and stony soil can't can barely hang right. on. Right. Uh, for right. Williams, the roots grip down and awaken, and right. Um, right. you know, it's it's almost like a kind of. Um, one-for-one response. The question of language uh, that you brought up, the multilingualism of the the wasteland is something that Williams addresses at several points in uh, Spring and All quite actively. He says um, things like, let me see if I can find the the page. It's early in the the prose of the wasteland. Yeah, something Um, about Sanskrit, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a couple um, of moments like that. So he says... uh, um, if I could say what is in my mind in Sanskrit or even Latin, I would do so, but I cannot. I speak for the integrity of the soul and the greatness of life's inanity, the formality of its boredom, the orthodoxy of its stupidity, 
kill, kill, let there be fresh meat. Um, and then he will say, uh, 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 you know, soon thereafter, um, uh, again, um, and it is spring, both in Latin and Turkish, in English and Dutch, uh-huh. in Japanese and Italian. It is spring by stinking river where a magnolia tree without leaves before what was once a farmhouse, now a ramshackle home for mill workers, raises its straggling branches of ivory white flowers. Um, yeah. I, these are, I think, quite beautiful um, yeah. Uh, moments of response to the wasteland. Well, for and sure. for people, I mean, I, I yeah. guess probably people, uh, lots of people do know the wasteland. Yeah. But uh, if if you don't, you know, just bear in mind it's the it's the poem right that begins. April is the cruelest month, so it has its own sort of claims to describing spring. Yeah. And spring and all has always struck me, even as the title to the volume, as a kind of um, I don't know what kind of gesture that's making in response yeah. to something like the grandiosity. It feels very idiomatic and American and sort of in a minor key, you know? That's a great point. I, I was trying to think about that a little bit as well. It, it certainly has, I mean, this is a book that's full of et ceteras, et ceteras, and so mm-hmm. on. And, and, and so spring and all kind of has that, yeah. ca- that cast off. Um, I suppose one could take it as like spring and all. And all. <laughs> I do think that the totality yeah. is something that is yeah. actually at stake as well. I really do think yeah. that Frederick Jameson says yeah. that Williams, especially later in Patterson, is a great poet of social totality, precisely sure. because the figure of the doctor is one that allows you to kind of work through different um, you know, kind of like the detective figure that can be on Skid Row and then on in in you know the houses of the elite or something on the yes. same day. Um, yes, uh, but the doctor figure is one where that vision of, so- of the social kind of comes to you, I guess. Uh, yes, um, and and Williams is not just as you've said, sort of famously, Doctor Williams, the, the yeah. poet who's the family doctor, and you know, like sometimes we think of modernism as the the era in which like poets had these other jobs. You know, Stevens, the insurance. Yeah, you know, executive yeah. or Elliot, the editor or whatever. Um, Williams, the doctor, but but Williams is uh, not to anticipate ourselves because it's it's very interesting the moment yeah. where it comes up in the poem. But sort of there's there's a kind of oblique self reference here as some doctor, some yeah. doctor's family, right? So we so yeah. that th- there's a kind of self awareness of that role that's built into the poem. But okay, I, I want to go go back into the poem into that third question I asked, but but then maybe to accelerate our um, progress yeah. through through its lines a bit. Um, the pure products of America go crazy. So, you know, I had asked, well, what does, what does it mean for Williams for something to go crazy? But then, um, what follows from there is this kind of rough and tumble group group portrait or something of, of, I suppose the, the people who are the pure products of America and we see Mm -hmm. them going crazy or something like that. So, um, you know, taking those first, um, let's say one, two, three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, you know, seven yeah. or so stanzas of the poem as a kind of little unit here where we get that kind of group portraiture. What are you noticing in them, Harris? And what, yeah. and, you know, and, and what, what, you know, maybe how do they illuminate what it is that crazy means for, for Williams? Right. Well, I, I think the first thing to say is just products. I, it's important that we, I think, register both the kind of, um, right biological sense of of products as as essentially offspring right um yes. or there's like the kind of mathematical a b is mm-hmm. different than a or b um like the product but, of a function or something exactly yeah, yeah. um but there's also um at the same time as that um as i think over overwhelmingly biological determination of product is there i think it's hard for us certainly to hear it without also um 
hearing a kind of commercial culture gone mm-hmm. wild, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the culture of commercial manufacture or something. I, I think it's, I, I think, I think even in the twenties, it's hard not to hear that word without that being there as well. So even though this is a, a, a human, I mean, um, uh, yeah. the thing there's, it, it's, it's within a world of degraded co- commercial, uh, uh, culture, right. Um, as though birth were a product of capitalism or something. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, um, so the, from there, the, um, I think it's, we talked a little bit about the kind of Kentucky and the North, rib mm-hmm. North end of Jersey as particular spaces of, um, like of potentially like fraught settler violence of, um, uh, so you have the kind of, um, the railroading out of sheer lust of adventure, for instance, is one precisely where, again, like as in the word product, the libidinal drive is linked to capital accumulation, uh, right. right? Lust of adventure, right. Um, uh, adventure, not just as, um, um, not just as the kind of template of, yeah. of, of narrative, but as uh, precisely as, as the vent, as the venture, as in capital. Um, right, right. And so I, I think he's playing with that. He's thinking through something like what, you know, grill Marcus kind of will call like old wheeled, mm-hmm. old, old weird America, that kind of right. a configuration. Of, right. Um, and, and, and he's coming to an, an, a notion of that space in which, um, he became, this gets a little bit beyond where you wanted it to, That's okay. to be, but you can take be, us there. Um, and, uh, uh, to, he settles on, 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 on this kind of hard image, potentially sort of misogynistic image, a young slatterns bathed in filth yeah. from Monday to Saturday to be tricked out that night with gods from imaginations, which have no peasant traditions to give them character. Um, right there. The, uh, so imagination is the word of this entire book. Imagination is the thing that he celebrates. He's against everything. He's against symbolism. He's against uh, meter. He's against rhyme. He's against similes. He's against representation yeah. itself. This book is is, right. a, is a kind of broadside against mimesis itself as as the as the um um. But but imagination is something that he constantly is defining, redefining, affirming, um, right. uh, singing to. Um, and so here we have a poem in which there is a kind of um, a, 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 a diminished capacity for imagination, right? Um, uh, there is an, ima- an imagination which have no peasant traditions to give them character, right? Um, so like flutter I, I, and flaunt sheer rags, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, I, so the, the qu- that question of like, Peasant traditions, of course. The, the the again, the 1920s is a time when when right. when there are efforts to fashion different kinds of cultural nationalisms. I mean, that that that's an older kind of romantic national model from the early 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but but he's wondering what 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 happens to romantic nationalism in the United States, and how does it work when the images of 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 um, culture that might one might settle on are um, defined by really difficult spaces of settler violence, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it's at that moment that he then um, it kind of imagines a rape scene. Um, yeah. Uh, Succumbing so- without emotion, save numb terror under some hedge of choke cherry or viburnum, which they cannot express. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, the, the book's full of um, 
of like botanical and horticultural detail, choke cherry or viburnum, right. the stiff curl of wild carrot leaf elsewhere. It's right. striking to me that he that he turns to that kind of language as a, I mean, literally as a hedge, I think. Um, oh, in that's the sense so interesting. Of, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's hedging around the 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 scene of violence that he's just evoked. Um, Although it, I have to say. Choke yeah. cherry seems yes. rather overdetermined <laughs> as Absolutely. a as a as yeah. a kind of violent name, you yeah. know. For I think that's that's right. That's for right. Yeah. for a plant. Yeah. 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 So, um, and maybe it's just worth backing up because I don't, I don't know. I mean, I realize this gets into some of the least pleasant stuff in the poem, but we should be honest about it and um, t- try to take our measure of it. The slatterns itself, as a word, may feel somewhat unfamiliar to people. Um, so this refers to a kind of what like slovenly or unkempt, um, pre- presumably sexually promiscuous young woman. It's a kind of derogatory pejorative term that's related, I would suppose, etymologically to a word like slut. Um, um, so young slatterns bathed in filth from Monday to Saturday to be tricked out that night with gods, right? Um God's an interesting homonym there, maybe. Um, oh, huh. yeah, yeah. Um, so there's some kind of uh, some kind of um, rape scene in, involving, uh, or it's not even a maybe scene is the wrong way to describe it because everything is here is being described. It occurs to me now, Harris, in the plural, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not one scene; it's like a a recurring kind of situation or something, the, a repeated scene. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that gets us to uh, the kind of unspecified quality of this poem, which is a strange feature in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. Say more bit, about what you mean oh, by that. So we, we come soon thereafter, you know, maybe we should just read on a little bit more. We'll, Go ahead. Um, Unless it be that marriage, perhaps with a dash of Indian blood, will throw up a girl so desolate, so hemmed round with disease or murder, that she'll be rescued by an agent reared by the state and sent out at 15 to work in some hard-pressed house in the suburbs, some doctor's family, some Elsie. Mm-hmm. That turn to some hard-pressed house in the suburbs, some doctor's family, some Elsie, uh, we get later uh, a re- repeat of the somehow and something in the f- final stanzas of the poem. But I, I was thinking a little bit about the sum because he, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned his his uh, invocation of his own role as a doctor here, but it's one that at, at, at the same moment um, specifies and fails to specify. He's turning these categories into generalities. Um, he's making himself a generality. He's making the maid a generality. Um, and, uh, right. I, I don't know what's at stake in that kind of, um, in that grammar of, uh, of specification, basically. Um, well, I, I, I don't yeah. either, except that it, it, it seems to me, Harris, like it's, um, just at first, uh, uh, thinking about it right now in, in real time, yeah. um, it seems quite different from the gesture of the the first poem in the book, um, you know, the By the Road to the Contagious Hospital mm-hmm. poem, the poem that sometimes gets the title afterwards, Spring and All itself, yes. right? Um, one by one, objects are defined, you know, um, mm-hmm. where what's, you know, clarity of leaf. I'm not, like, I'm not going to get the the um, 
the lines exactly right. Uh, I, though I have the book here, I could just look. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, where you know one gets the sense that you're getting a kind of crystal clear. Um, one by one, it, objects are defined. It quickens clarity, outline of leaf, mm-hmm. um, where it seems um, like w- where where Williams's attention wants to go is on the singular and on the on the on the kind of pristine noticing of um, mm-hmm. the object or something. Here, this seems to be content with a kind of sociological attention or something Mm -hmm. you know um offering her as a type or something like that and and himself too as you say um some elsie some doctor's family some elsie so you know one thing that you'll hear um um listeners um dear listeners one thing that you'll one way you'll hear this poem often described is as a poem that williams wrote about elsie a young woman who worked in his home and took I think helped to like take care of the two young children, the yeah. um, uh, his and um, his wife's sons. Um, so from what I can tell, Elsie um, is a kind of name that's invented for the poem. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but all the sources I've looked up have suggested that, you know, le- like Harris, you mentioned earlier, there was um, a woman named Sadie whom this may have been, this um, this Elsie may have been modeled on. And maybe that explains some of the gesture of some Elsie, right? It's um, it's a type, not a person that that he's after here. Um, but then it, it also seems odd also to me that the poem, even when it's retroactively titled, is titled to Elsie rather than, I mean, it's not, he's not addressing her, is he? No. In the poem. Yeah. So in what sense is the poem to her in your view? I mean, in the, I, I feel like, I think in the sense of a dedication rather than an mm-hmm. address, I do think right. that there's a kind of dedicatory function there that is supposed to be uh, perhaps even exculpatory for having put her in the poem in the first place or something. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that's you, kind of what I hear. I, yeah. So can you say, can you say more about what's at stake in the distinction between dedication yeah. and address? Because we might think of those as very related yeah. gestures, but I take it. And I think I understand how they might be different, but I want to hear you talk about it. Well, I don't know. I mean, a, a dedication is, um, I, I'm thinking this through for the first time in terms of the kind of occasional functions of, of, of uh, uh, but, but if we think about the poetics of address in general, uh, to speak to, mm-hmm. um, and the turns that it takes towards uh, real or imagined, uh, uh, speakers um right. and the whole function of say apostrophe and poetry is a turn yeah. away from those real or imagined speakers towards right. other kinds of things um uh, the the uh, the function of a dedication isn't quite that it's like um hmm. um you, you might know, dedicate a poem to someone and not think they're ever going to read it yeah i dedicate in fact you, in fact in memoriams would be precisely right. that so there's a kind of it's a short for dedicated to um right. rather than right. uh, so there's just the function of the um right and what and i guess that well so then what follows for me then is the question of like what what is the impulse that's being satisfied yeah. by a dedication to rather than an address 
to. Yeah. Um, and and you were suggesting, I think, a moment ago that perhaps it's exculpatory or something. It's some kind of <laughs> well, or attempt had, at that. Yeah, had a bad ethics about about the way he wrote about women in his poems. I think overall, um, good. Yeah, you know, uh, there's I think of several things to say. One is, I mean, this poem participates in these kind of. I think some of the hardest moments in this poem are the scenes of like, uh, or or the moments of of um, uh, corporeal description. Um, uh, the, should I take the burden off of you and read them, read them right now? Ungainly hips and yeah. breasts, and um, right. right, uh, and so the, the but it's the, actually it's it's I'm I'm just going to interrupt you. Yeah. Hang on to your thought, um, Harris. But voluptuous. So some doctors' family, some Elsie, voluptuous water expressing with broken brain, and and between broken and brain, we get not only yeah. a line break but a stanza break. Expressing with broken brain the truth about us, mm-hmm. her great ungainly hips and flopping breasts addressed to cheap jewelry like as though what her her body her her from the poem's point of view it seems kind of grotesque body is expressing something essential about the us from which i don't know if she's excluded or not but i think probably she is you know it's like him and his wife and their family or something maybe i don't know we can track we should track the the um the uh first person plural through the poem yeah. because i think that the it 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 sort of takes over um uh, as we go i believe um at least at least it comes in here quite strongly we degraded prisoners um and so yeah. on uh yeah. but uh so i absolutely agree with you about that kind of co-involvement in the and this mm-hmm. is what i think we've been talking about with the kind of predicament of culture um yeah paradigm. oh good and um so uh, the at the same time, it's it's very clear that he's allowing himself to participate in a kind of form of ethnographic description there, um, uh, and that that um, that's something that he's risking. In other poems, Williams is very funny about avoiding doing that. Uh, he has a wonderful poem called "Portrait of a Lady," um, right. where he sort of undoes the conventions of the blazon as the as the the kind of poem that describes you know the women's body the woman's body in parts right um right part and, by part um, right part yes. by part and he's yeah. really he's really quite funny in parodying that process there um so i think he's very aware of the um uh, f- forms of like the representational logics that he's evoking and participating in here um and uh and something like what you're saying about but at the same time um Forgive me for not completing that thought, but at the same time, okay. I think it's important to 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 say that that um, well that Williams is 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 evoking that ethnographic problem. He's right. co-involving himself in it, um, but he has a kind of bad record of just including details about like women that he knew in his poems later on, for instance, in Patterson, um, he'll include hold letters from a woman, I think Marcia Nardi that he knew. And there's just like, uh, um, forgive me if I have the details exactly wrong, but I I think he struggled with the ethics of what in his attention to the real and his want desire to kind of, um, Mm -hmm. Fill the poem with what he imagined to be a kind right. of anti-representational real. Um, sometimes I think that came um, with a a difficult right. ethics, right? Um, yeah. And 
Uh, and so it's in that sense that I think, and, and his ascribing the poem a title to Elsie later in his, right. I don't know how much later, but later I think is when he's sort of thinking these problems through a little bit more, maybe. Um, so, like rereading yeah. his old poems and sort of thinking yeah. about um, yeah. some of perhaps some of what we've been talking about. Here. But we're speculating a little bit, I think, at this point about this. So, yeah, yeah. sure, we are. Well, well, one thing that's not. Um, speculation, but it's just an observation about the poem. So that that moment where um, some Elsie voluptuous water expressing with broken brain the, the truth about us that the word expressing that verb had come up earlier in in the rape scene, quote unquote, the succumbing without emotion, save numb terror under some hedge of choke cherry or viburnum, which they cannot express mm-hmm. the the numbed terror, I guess, is the thing that cannot be expressed, but is like merely endured. Right. Um, but later it's as though the body itself is expressing something, um, something about us. Um, well, so, okay, now now what I want to know, so you said that that first person um, plural pronoun that we, we degraded prisoners really sort of um, takes over um, near the end of the poem. Um, I, I'm, I'm, Curious how you um, might make connections between what's happening at the end of the poem with respect to the um, the material that we've talked about already. So um, I'll read these final lines. Um, and we degraded prisoners destined to hunger until we eat filth while the imagination strains after deer going by fields of goldenrod in the stifling heat of September, somehow it seems to destroy us. It is only an isolate flex that something is given off. No one to witness and adjust, no one to drive the car. Um, I mean, surely we'll want to talk about the, the final lines um, and let's, let's reserve the opportunity to do that for, for a moment. But just for now, like how do we get so quickly from, from this sort of, words like excrement, degraded mm-hmm. prisoners, eat filth, to the imagination straining after deer going by fields of goldenrod. Like if you had only that stanza, you would think that it belonged in a very different poem, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. So um, what what sense does that, uh, how, how can you make sense of that, Harris? I, again, here I go back to the question of how we read this poem against other poems, because yeah. all of these, uh, all these kind of, discourses are coded throughout the book in different ways. Mm. Um, uh, there's a, uh, there's a several enjambments that are like quite strong enjambments that yeah. are about being under the sky in some way or another. And mm. here this kind of the, the, you know, the, the earth as the thing that the sky shits or whatever is, um, right. um is, is one version of that. Um, the, uh, but, um, but you're right that, that there's a, this huge, jarring break with the imagination straining after deer going by fields of goldenrod. And and there again, what is the second invocation of the imagination in this poem? Right. The imagination here seems to be a bit of a space of, um, I mean, almost romantic space of imaginative fancy that, that, that that's allowed to take free play where at the moment that the kind of poem has called itself into crisis or something. Um, and uh and 
And I think he's suggesting to some extent that the imagination has the structure of a kind of evasion here, while the imagination strains after deer going by fields of goldenrod as a kind of way of actually turning one's back on the real or something. The um, uh, That's interesting. Maybe so, but it's funny. It was funny. I was surprised to hear you use the word evasion, though. Now I understand why you did, because what it sounds to me like is the the imagination there also sounds like predatory or something. Straining after deer almost sounds like pursuit, you know? Like, I mean, you're thinking of like Acteon and Diana or something something like that. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, um, So, certainly the imagination there is entailed in a great effort. Um, yeah. And it's worth us saying that he, he gives many definitions to the imagination um, in this book. One of them yeah. um, that sticks with me is that the imagination is a, a kind of force like steam power or something yeah. that, 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 that it's like the, the motor force of word production and words are the material on which poems are uh, out of which poems are built right so the imagination is the steam Um, and and words or poems are like the wheel that the steam turns or something something like that or they're actually like i think they're actually producing words it's it's a producerist thing and that gets us back to our products earlier perhaps but um um Uh, he also I, refers um, in the in some of the prose sections of this book to, to quote unquote the the plagiarists of the imagination, and there I think he has someone like Eliot in mind, or at least I've always thought so. There's something I, kind of derivative about the poetics that he's seeing exactly. happening over there. This is the this is part of what he's his problem with the entire kind of. Um, I mean, he really doesn't. He's really trying to get after something that is against figuration as such. He's not interested in, I mean, right. certainly symbol, symbol, there's a poem, the rose is obsolete. It's like right. n- no crude symbolism can be allowed. Uh, there's a, right. um, uh, there, there's a, uh, a similar thing happening with simile, uh, likeness, imitation, mm-hmm. all of these discourses of like the, po- the poem cannot be a mirror to nature is what he's, is what he's getting at. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the kind of anti-mimetic dimension of the, of this poem. So, um, and, and, he, and of this poet, as he would go on, like no ideas, yeah. but in things, right? Exactly. You know, right. Yeah. And a yeah. poem is a small machine made of right. or a small or large mm-hmm. machine made of words and all of the kind of shibboleths about, about uh, poetry that we'll take from him. Um, right. So, I, yeah. So, um, the ter- okay. but, I, but here I actually, I, you know, I guess why I'm bringing all this up is because okay. I don't quite hear that theory of imagination marked in the, mm-hmm. in the invocation of imagination at the end of the poem. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's so, okay. Right. Um, I, I agree with you, yeah. I think. And that's part of why I'm struck by it in a way. Yeah. Um, it's the imagination strains after deer going by fields of goldenrod in the stifling heat of September. Somehow it seems to destroy us. Um, take those two lines. Yeah. The, what's the, what's the, it, the stifling heat of September um, or the, or the imagination? What has seemed to, what seems to destroy us? Or is there, that like a kind of indeterminate, undeterminate? I think it's it, definitely yeah. indeterminate. There, there are many moments in this in this book and uh, where he leaves off a line, um, mm-hmm. where he doesn't complete a thought. In fact, that the 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 break in syntax um, or a kind of failure of syntactic closure is part of what he kind of wants to do and pointing to the real. Basically, um, yeah. it's at the it's it's at the moment that 
line takes you to the edge of the reel. It's like pointing to the reel. Um, so uh, I think that a little bit, yeah, his like willingness to just sort of start over again with somehow it seems to destroy us right. uh, is a version of that. I do, I do think it's worth us again thinking about like horticultural specificity. Goldenrod. I just read a wonderful essay by a landscape art, uh, urbanist who uh-huh. is going around planting goldenrod and cracked parking lots and things like that in the Massachusetts yeah. area. Um, but goldenrod is a kind of, you know, self-seeding um, oh, uh, kind of weedy flower um, right. that, uh, that gets into the cracks. Um, he has, uh, um, uh, oh God, the no ideas, but in things it comes w- in saxifrage is my flower yeah. that splits the rocks. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so there is some, there's always something to the kind of particular, um, horticultural specificity and i don't know i don't know it's not just the word he liked you mean exactly yeah yeah yeah. Uh, um so there's that uh, but we have to get to no one to witness and adjust yeah no one to drive the car but i don't want you to i I want you to start with the with the penultimate stanza you know that it is only an isolate flex why don't don't you um you yeah talk to us about what's happening there there's um so, so it comes right out of like somehow it seems to destroy us, and then it is only an isolate flex that something is given off. And and again, I don't want to keep talking about the wasteland yeah. in this conversation mm-hmm. about um, Williams, but it does seem like maybe there's an alternate model there of like, um, f- you know, being reduced to fr- these fragments I've shored against, against my room, right? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, I think that yeah. yeah. So I mean, go again, on. There, you, you talk you about could... these lines. I think you can take it as a kind of um, rebuttal to these fragments I have short against my ruin. I think that's a pl- plausible reading. Um, yeah. I, I do. Yeah. I, I want to stress again in the context of our conversation, the mm-hmm. way that these unmarked words somehow and something take yes. over these lines in, in, in light of the, some doctor's family, some Elsie, some hard pressed house in the suburb right. that we've heard before. So they have a sound echo that is, perhaps more powerful than their apparent grammatical, um, uh, you know, lack of specificity. Um, And both of those words somehow and something are given a line all unto their own. I mean, which seems to promote their significance in some way. And we haven't talked about the weight of the stanzas across this poem, which are all sort of like, you know, it's like five words, one word, four words, or that sort of thing. It's not exactly, but um, uh, we could talk about William's, the way that he's very interested in in strong stanzaic order, even though he's casting off meter and rhyme and all of these things. Well, but, maybe but, maybe yeah. we we sh- should say another word about it briefly, right? He's writing in tercets; they're not um, metrically regular. It does seem like their appearance on the page matters to him, in that they yeah. they sort of resemble each other. In a, in the just the way you were saying. In, insofar as the second of the three lines tends to be a very short line. I mean, the whole, all of the lines are short, but the second line of each stanza is very short. Um, exactly. And, th- and are those like isolate flex or something? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, he yeah. would, I think he would, I think he would, uh, when you said like, I think he would say, let me stop yes. you right there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, good. But, but actually that's not entirely true because he does, start to think about his prose blocks and in the American grain as though they are like, um, like almost like ink and masonry or something. He, mm-hmm. he, he sort of, he's willing to metaphorize the form of the, the visual visual prosody is the name that um, I think Marjorie Perloff gave to this yeah. function a long time ago. Right. Um, right. It looks right. like a certain kind of, uh, 
I knew uh, I was getting that idea from somewhere. Sound order. <laughs> it's yeah. Perloff, right. Okay. Um, Something is given off. Yeah. All right. No yeah. one to witness and adjust. No one to drive the car. Um, there's that great image of Williams behind the wheel of a car, right? You know, do you know that photograph? Um, it's, it's funny. I don't know if uh, I have seen that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. What's, what's going on in this, in this, um, in this final statement about the lack of a kind of authoritative or guiding intelligence or, you know, what, what's, what's being gotten at to, re- to return to your, um, your earlier term, like what, what predicament is that identifying? Yeah. I mean, he, he has this fantasy of annihilation at the beginning of the, po- of the, of the book spring and all um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a, uh, everyone in Europe and then everyone in Mexico and then everyone in Canada and then uh, are sort of um, there's a kind of global cataclysm. And of course you think, why is he fantasizing this global cataclysm? And then you think, Oh wait, it's already happened. He's not the one that's done it. It's in Mm -hmm. the wake of world war Mm -hmm. one. It's happened. But, uh, but, um, but in the midst of that, he, he says, Children laughingly fling themselves under the wheels of the streetcars. Airplanes crash gaily to the earth. Someone has written a poem. There are a, a, there are a lot of scenes throughout the poem of like kind of um, uh, like machinic disaster, basically. With I said the poem, but the the book. I mean, yeah, um, I thought uh, I thought that's what yeah, you meant. Good, yeah, uh, of machinic disasters, and we could associate these with the avant-garde gestures of futurism or something like that. The, you know, uh, FT Marinetti's foundation and manifesto of futurism begins with him getting in an automobile accident. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that, and he's also attracted to the perceptions that are enabled by the motor car. There's a kind of motorist poem. I went spinning, uh, Mm -hmm. in the, uh, Mm -hmm. in spring and all. Um, so there is a, a kind of, registration of all that here that mm-hmm. um the car can't not evoke um mm-hmm. uh, the car also seems like um to me like a the family vehicle and i don't know how much hmm. of um i you know i i think i i i suppose it must always have have felt that way at least in at least to yeah. some extent, right? Um, that is as opposed to say mass transit or other kinds of um, yeah, um, inventions of modernity. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like um, the vehicle that carries the family at whose wheel would sit the father, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a kind of patriarchal um, society Um and and then this poem seems to have a lot to say about how like familial reproduction. I'm just I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. riffing here, so yeah. feel free to interrupt me. But how families get reproduced, and Elsie seems like a um, a kind of foreign, n- not in the sense of nationality, but like a a. F- a, f- a kind of foreign um, intrusion into the fed, but like a helper into the sort of artificial, mm. you know, like a nanny figure or something like that. But I, I don't know what is, is there some anxiety here about, um, I feel like I'm reading this in a kind of mid-century way rather than, yeah, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. So I feel like I'm misreading in other I, words. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'd ha- I think we'd have to, the kind of family car question, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think we'd have to excavate the social history of driving. Yeah, I that's want to read right. like, yeah. you know, uh, my friend Cotton Seiler wrote a book called Republic of Drivers that would be a, the place I would go looking for the answer to this question. Yeah. Um, so I, and I don't, I, I don't know that it's that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if the Williams family, you know, participated in that kind. Got of, around uh, in the in know, the Volvo or yeah. whatever. Uh, the <laughs> in Model the way T that I or, to. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, uh, no one it, to it, witness and adjust. No one to drive the car. I guess what I want to suggest is that there is the brink of a kind of catastrophe there, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the form of catastrophic thought is one that Williams uh. returns to over and over and over again. Um, this is why I mentioned the airplane crash at the beginning and the kind of scenes of annihilation right. all the way through um, his great poem Patterson, which takes the right. image of the plummeting falls, which is a literal catastrophe of falling down um, right. as, and he was obsessed with these images of cultural destruction um, right. in the American grain too, is about like, you know, mm-hmm. you burn the Cortez burns the ships, uh, scuttles and burns the ships, So he can't go back to the old world. Then he goes and burns Tenochtitlan. And it's not that Williams was celebrating per se, these images of destruction. Um, it's that he was attracted to these conflagrations as images of how um, something like the modern or right. the, uh, or the new in art was made. Um, right. And they become images of mind for him, basically. So the mm. the 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 scene of sexual violence in the middle of this poem, um, mm. the kind of mm. brink of catastrophe of the car at the end, I mm-hmm. think, are all um, him just constantly struggling against the sort of catastrophic form of thought that he was given to. Um, is it um, is it possible that that catastrophic form of thought is, in some sense, for him, perverse as this may seem? like also generative, um, you know, oh, yeah. imaginative kind of way. Yeah. I mean, what I found myself wanting to ask as you were just talking, Harris, was like, is there a metapoetic reading of no one to drive the car, like um, a kind of authorless poem or something, you know, like a self-driving vehicle, in some <laughs> words, you know? Well, that would, I think that would really make sense, actually. I think that's yeah. a lovely reading. Um, I, the, the, the generative force of it is absolutely there. I mean, he's comes close to, 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 to kind of a notion of creative destruction in the way that like Joseph Schumpeter would define capitalism in the forties. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, he um, certainly is interested in what the, like the machine of the poem, mm-hmm. the mechanics mm-hmm. of the words as they, um, as they create the, the kind of poetic self-creation through the mechanics of the words on the page. The stanzas, once um, you get them going, they'll start replicating and, you know, yeah. 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 So I think there's something like that. It's not a, it's not a, an assembly line um, mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. It's um, uh, yeah, but, okay, but yeah. Good. Well, um, Harris, if there's, um, if there's nothing else you wanted to say about um, the end of the poem, um, I wanted to ask you if you could, um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this now in full awareness of my, um, indulgence in the 
poem as unit of of meaning <laughs> kind of thing. If I'm you, there if with you, you. I'm there with if you. you would be so good as to as to put the whole poem in our um, abstracted as it as it never as it you know has to be inevitably from the book, um, the whole poem in our listeners' minds one more time by reading it aloud. Would you would you read the poem for us again? The pure products of America go crazy. Mountain folk from Kentucky or the ribbed north end of Jersey with its isolate lakes and valleys, its deaf mutes, thieves, old names, and promiscuity between devil-may-care men who have taken to railroading out of a sheer lust of adventure and young slatterns bathed in filth from Monday to Saturday to be tricked out that night with gods from imaginations which have no peasant traditions to give them character but flutter and flaunt, sheer rags, succumbing without emotion, saved numb terror under some hedge of choke cherry or viburnum, which they cannot express, unless it be that marriage, perhaps with a dash of Indian blood, will throw up a girl so desolate, so hemmed around with disease or murder, that she'll be rescued by an agent, reared by the state, and sent out at 15 to work in some hard-pressed house in the suburbs, some doctor's family, some Elsie, voluptuous water expressing with broken brain the truth about us, her great ungainly hips and flopping breasts addressed cheap jewelry and rich young men with fine eyes as if the earth under our feet were an excrement of some sky and we degraded prisoners destined to hunger until we eat filth while the imagination strains after deer going by fields of goldenrod in the stifling heat of September Somehow it seems to destroy us. It is only an isolate flex that something is given off. No one to witness and adjust. No one to drive the car. Well, Harris Feinsod, thank you so much for reading the poem, for coming on the podcast and talking to me about it for the last hour or so. It's been a real pleasure for me. Thanks so much, Cameron. It's great to be here. Um, and thank you, listeners, for making it with us. Um, please um, make sure you're following the podcast and that way you'll get um, all the great new episodes that we have in the works. It's like a, it's a never ending uh, gift, these, these conversations. So I'm happy to have you along with, for the ride. Um, and I'll be driving the car, I guess. <laughs> Bye everyone. <laughs>